0: You're listening to The Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to this episode of The Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and in today's episode, I want to talk about men as risk takers. That's right, why it is that I believe that men are hardwired to be those who take bold and courageous risks. And my argument today is very simple. It's this, men are hardwired for courageous risk-taking. They're made to risk life and limb to slay the dragon, to get the girl, and to defend their place and their home. Men are made for glory, which comes to those who take bold action in the face of hazardous conditions and insurmountable odds. So in other words, men are made to boldly confront heretics with intellectual prowess. They're made to start businesses that define communities and bring wealth to their people. They're made to cross oceans to start new civilizations. They're made to saddle up and ride out to meet the hordes of enemies marching on their city gates. In turn, this means men will need other tactical virtues, things like courage in the face of fear and against great odds. They will need competence at dragon-slaying and girl-getting, as well as the ability to earn the respect and lead other men in battle. So we'll begin today with this simple concept that men are hardwired to be risk-takers. I want to begin by discussing the ways in which men, by nature, are designed to be risk-taking and bold in action. This design feature is readily apparent, for example, when you observe a group of young boys as they are playing together. So, number one, you'll notice that they constantly dare one another to take risks. It's in their instinctive nature to want to be brave and to do daring things. And so these groups of boys will incite and they'll goad one another into risk-taking adventures. And why I say it's hardwired is because no one necessarily taught them how to do this. All you need to do to see these traits in action is put a group of boys together and let them play and watch from a distance inside the kitchen window, and you see that they start doing these things. It's because they come out of the womb that way. So if you leave the boys alone in the backyard for more than five minutes, they're going to be surfing wood planks down the rocky hill behind the house. They're going to be riding their bikes, one boy standing on the handlebars while the other pedals and steers. This is just what boys do. This is how God made boys. They're going to be jumping scooters over curbs at relatively high speeds and doing the kind of things that makes mom cringe. Later in life, young boys will be taking their dirt bikes and jumping them over ditches. They'll be taking their 4x4s up perilous trails, and they'll be pushing one another to participate in daring outdoor adventures in other wild countries and wild places. Now, even as I say this is the way that boys are, there's one thing that we need to take account of, and we'll delve into this a little bit more later, but fundamentally, our culture is one of what I will call safetyism and helicopter parenting styles. The problem today is that if you look at the way children are raised, mom and dad are just watching over every move. There's no free play, and boys are not left to themselves at all. Now, I'll I'll certainly be the first to tell you that boys should not predominantly and always be left to themselves, particularly in a peer culture. But I want you to do a little mental exercise at this point. I want you to think about your fathers and your grandfathers. I want you to think about the stories that they told you when you were a young kid. And I, I think back to my grandfathers. I think even just to my father's generation. And I think about the daring feats of childhood that they told us. Our eyes would widen and we think, wow, dad, you're crazy. I can't believe you did those things. Well, this is what you find in past generations. But as you compare that to generations today, you notice immediately there's a stark difference. Our parents were surfing in the beds of pickup trucks while cutting through cornfields. Not that I recommend that activity, but that was a level of quote unquote fun that they were having. And today, we can't go anywhere with all our, without all our knee pads on, our helmets fastened securely, our helmet has to be inspected by the fire department, right? We have become a culture of overmuch safetyism. Now, one story in particular that I want to tell for you, this is from my pastor, Mike, his father, whose name is Smokey. So first of all, two things. Smokey has an epic beard. And second, Smokey's name is Smokey. That is probably the coolest older generation name that I've ever heard. You automatically respect a guy whose name is Smokey. Now, Smokey is a younger man, and Mike tells this story pretty well. He floated a river, and it's a section of river in California that's probably killed many people. Like, many people have drowned going down this section of river. But Smokey made it, and he's waving to his friends, and he's saying, Don't go down that stretch of river! You know, he's thrown under the current. He manages to find his way out. He lives, obviously, to tell the story. But the great part is Smokey becomes somewhat of a local legend for surviving that epic feat. You see, our fathers and our grandfathers have hundreds of stories just like these. They didn't wear seatbelts. They were probably chewing, smoking, and drinking by age 12. And they were told to leave the house and don't come back until supper. Here's the point that I want to make in all of this risk-taking that our grandparents took and that we don't today. It was all of these smaller risks as boys that serve vital purposes in the formation of men. And I'm going to unpack what some of those formative principles are in the lives of boys, why it's so important. So first and foremost, these daring and often dangerous acts teach boys valuable lessons about risk assessment and acceptable danger. It's a process of data collection. When you leap a ditch on a mini bike, you land short, and you happen to fracture a few bones. The road rash and the pain is a helpful instructor. It might teach you that next time you need to have a little more speed, maybe you need to have a better ramp or perhaps a better bike with a little bit more power. But you also learn things like what is too far and what is acceptable and unacceptable risk? You say to yourself, was that worth it? Would it be worth it for me to do it again? If I did it again, how should I, how should I guard myself against greater injury? Now, I recall one incident as a teenager when we were running around the neighborhoods with some of the neighborhood kids, and you'll, you'll automatically notice that this would not happen today, more than likely, but we're running around the neighborhood and we got Roman candles. Okay, Roman candles are pretty dangerous and they burn pretty hot. So we light our Roman candles and we're pointing them at each other and we're chasing each other through the neighborhood trying to hit each other with Roman candles. Again, this is around the July 4th, you know, summertime activities of boys. It was all fun and games until somebody's shirt got caught on fire and they suffered some pretty painful burns. So we got scolded. Right? Moms from around the neighborhood were grabbing young men by the ears and we were hearing about curfews and being grounded. And as young boys, we filed these notes away in our memory bank and we said to ourselves, okay, that was too far. We took that one a little bit too far. And so next time when you're in a situation like that, you're going to think about the punishment and you're going to weigh, is that worth it? So these are good lessons for boys. To be learning. Now, on the other hand, I've known of friends who never really had these lessons as youth. And so what happened is they grew up and they were very cavalier and cocky and careless. I can think of two particular instances of this. And in both cases, uh, it cost my friends their lives. One guy that we knew uh, didn't heed avalanche warnings. And so he decided he was going to backcountry ski in a known danger zone in an avalanche shoot in this bowl in Colorado. So he goes back there, starts an avalanche, gets buried, doesn't survive. Of course everybody's heartbroken. Right? The the other acquaintance was on a hiking trip and just carelessly jumping from one rock outcropping to another and he fell to his death. So, what's my point in all of this? Well, my point is that it's all these smaller boyish dangers, and generally the ones that are not life-threatening, that are the ones that are going to teach you about risk assessment so that we don't do incredibly stupid stuff that ends up killing us later in life. You need to fall off your bike. You need to scrape your knees. You need to play a game of tackle football on the pavement in front of your house in the cul-de-sac, right? You need your brother to check you into the mailbox while you're playing roller hockey and the steel mailbox catches you in the back, and you have a scar to this day from that experience, right? This is my boyhood, and it was so many boys' boyhoods for so many years. These experiences are essential. The pain is a necessary instructor for boys. I can think of one more story. Even when I was a two-year-old, I think not even two, 18 months, I decided that I was going to take flight from the doghouse. As you can imagine, an 18-month-old, you don't really think about gravity. Apparently, I thought I was going to be like Wonder Dog. I had my little blankie and I jumped from the doghouse and I came crashing down on my left elbow on the concrete and I ended up in a cast. I broke my arm. And it was a valuable lesson about how gravity works. And I think it probably saved my life later on because I said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to jump from this rock outcropping. I've had some experiences, and it does not generally end well. Second, this is the second major benefit of having these risk-taking adventures of boys. The second benefit is this. These acts force us to face our fears and learn how to be courageous. So this is where a boy is going to learn courage in these very small things. Maybe it is just jumping his bike over a curb. Right, I remember one time when I was, I was skiing with friends, and um, I can actually tend to be sometimes, especially on the ski slope, a little bit of, hey, let's just go to the bunny hill. Let's play it safe. And one of my friends who's a really good skier, we went with him and his dad, and we go to this hill, and he says, hey, let's go down this black diamond. I said, I don't know, guys, that could be dangerous. And the dad looked at me, and he was like, dangerous? He got a big smile on his face, and off the side of the hill, he went, down through the moguls and into this black diamond run. And his son looked at me and he said, I bet you can't go down that black diamond run. I, this is what I'm talking about, how guys and a gang of men, they will incite one another to do these daring acts. And in this case, it was a good thing. Now I was standing at the edge and, and, and the sun goes off and I'm scared stiff. I mean, like shaking. I'm thinking, oh my God, I can die. I've read stories in the newspaper about kids running off the trail and hitting a tree and they died. And what's going to happen when my mom and something just snapped in my mind. I said, I need to do this. And he said, come on, man. I hear him as he's going down the hill. Come on, man. Off the hill he goes. And I said to myself, I'm going to do this. So I race off the edge of the slope and man, it was heart pounding. It was terrifying. I was enthralled. I made it down to the bottom in one piece. I didn't fall. And you know what? I didn't die. I wasn't in the news, and my mom didn't find out because Ski Patrol called her and said, Your son is dead. He's an idiot. No, and it's interesting too. It didn't make me cocky. You know, I was aware of the danger, but it gave me a greater appreciation for the danger, and it gave me a triumphant sense of accomplishment. I'd face my fears and I'd come out victorious. I did not play it safe. And I could tell you many stories like this going through the wilderness on horses in the dark, almost falling off cliffs right? You make it through those experiences and you say, I can do this. I can be brave in the face of fear. And these are the things that boys need to learn. If you don't learn these things as a boy, you're going to grow up and be a man and you're going to be like the ultra safe, nerdy, driving a Prius, you know, instead of thinking like, is this car like functional? Is it good? Is this truck good for me? You're going to be like, well, what were the airbag tests like? I just don't want to experience any danger in my life. You're going to be the guy that gets a corporate job and he always keeps his head down. He doesn't speak the truth because he's afraid and he gives into the fear. So again, these boyhood things are so important for teaching us to overcome our fear, to embrace the fact that as men, we need to embrace danger in the right doses. We need to be smart about that, right? We need to know what's acceptable and unacceptable risk, what's stupid and what's not. But ultimately, men are for this. They're for facing the danger and the fear. And finally, I would say this. I think it's through these little experiences as boys, whether you jump in the ditch with your dirt bike, whether you jump on a horse without a saddle and try to impress the little girls as you get bucked off of this pony time and time again. I've been there. I've done that. But listen, it teaches you that fear could not and should not rule you as a man. That's such a valuable lesson for our boys. Now, the third reason these risk-taking moments are so important is this. It's because they teach us about the honor culture among a male gang. What do I mean by this? Well, I mean that even if you jump the ditch and all the girls are watching, even if you fall off the pony, even if something you know bad, you get injured in some other way, hopefully you don't die you go through this pain, there's a little bit of shame, but you're going to notice something else that happens. You're going to earn the respect and you're going to earn honor in the eyes of your peers in that male gang. The men are going to look at you, if you're smoky going down the river, and they're going to say, man, that dude's a legend, right? One of my friends, David, we were in the Selway wilderness and David is, I love David. He's one of my best friends. He is crazy though. And he's good for me because I'm Mr. Safety. You know, I'm thinking about OSHA violations. We go into the Selway in Idaho, and Dave decides he's going to have this little backpack raft, and he's going to cross the mighty Selway River. I said, David, you're crazy. What are you doing? He says, I think there's bears on the other side. I'm going to bring this raft. Said, okay, Dave's prepared for it. He brings this raft. We take a bush plane in. We land in the wilderness. Day comes. David's going to. He's gonna cross the river. And I look at him and he's got I'll never forget this. He's he's got paddles on his hands because he's gotta lay in this raft on his stomach and paddle his little paddles across this giant river. And I said, David, what in the heck are those paddles? And he goes, Bro, I took I took plastic pots, like flower pots, and I cut them up and they have these little straps on them, and I have these neoprene gloves, and I'm gonna I'm gonna paddle across the river. And I'm thinking He's gone too far. This dude has lost his mind, and so we're all watching. There's a group of us, including David's girlfriend, who's freaking out, and we're watching David cross the river. And I'm thinking, I looked at one of David's friends, Brandon. I said, Brandon, what are you thinking right now, man? He goes, I don't know. He's done dumber stuff. <laughs> it was great, man. So David he makes it across. Uh, he he's got the bear. That he's killed. And um, he's coming back across. He loses one of his paddles. And so his little boat's like halfway due in circles. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this I can't believe this. He makes it across. And no joke. Like, we're like, Dave, you idiot. I can't believe you made it. But I'm telling that story right now. And I've told that story at least a dozen times. Why? Because David is a legend. Right? David is known for these crazy, brave feats. And... I think over time, they become less and less stupid, you know? It's not just, he like that one even, he thought it through. He had taken his raft on smaller rivers and practiced and worked his way up to it. But I was so inspired because he did not let fear crush him. And that, that's the lesson. He did not back down in the face of fear. And so we as his friends, we respected him for his bravery. He became the neighborhood legend. He became known as a man of courage. And it instilled courage in the rest of us as well. We said, you know what? There's some things in life that I can do too. Okay, so the fourth point, why is risk-taking important to boys? It's this. It's that boys often risk stupidly. Like when they're little, they risk really dumb things. And what they need is not for fathers and men to say, hey, stop taking risks. But what they need is for men to help them channel their risk-taking courage for noble ends. And what that noble end is for the Christian man is waging war for the sake of the kingdom and taking dominion. It's being able to take risks that bring glory to God. And we'll continue to unpack these. But you think about it, it's like you're going to start a business so that your church and the men in your community can have somewhere to be discipled. You're going to leave your corporate job in order to do this. Or over time, you're going to have these side hustles. And you're going to invest money in them. And to some extent, that's kind of risky. But it's because boys learn these things, they've been taking the risk, and then their fathers have been shaping in them, okay, that's good. Now, let's use that skill and that endeavor to take risks. Let's use that for noble ends, right? So stop risking stupidly, right? Most men that I know are not like, hey, I want to jump that ditch. I won't jump the ditch now. Because I realize like my body needs to be healthy for the sake of my family. But what I will do is take my boys into the backcountry and face real dangers. And we'll backpack in. There's bears. There's cow moose that will run you over. They're probably worse than the bears. right? We'll face those risks as men in order to pass on lessons to our sons. And then we come home and then we're emboldened in our work. And in our mission. So, fathers, be encouraging your sons, channel that energy into starting businesses, starting families, having children, embracing the risk and the challenge so that the kingdom can be built up. This is what fathers and this is what boys are for. So, what I want to do at this point now is I want to take everything that we just talked about and I want to compare it to our culture today. And I want to say, is our culture today like that? Like, do we value risk-taking courage and bravery, particularly in our men? Do we, do we do that as a culture? And I think overwhelmingly the answer is no. We are fundamentally millennials, the latter half of the millennials, and then moving into iGen, ninety nine, uh, excuse me, 1997 and following. Like, those two generations have gotten more and more helicopter parented. We're all about playing it safe. So men in large part are soft and they're risk averse. They don't want to do anything that challenges the status quo. I think some of this as well came from the boomer generation because there was this mindset like if you want safety and security, it's not in having a small business It's going and working for a big corporation. You're going to work there for 30 years and then you're going to get a gold watch. Well, a couple of problems with that. I think it's an illusion and we'll continue to unpack this but that world is also dead and because that world is dead we need men who are going to take risk, start their own businesses, move on out on their own but they haven't been trained to do that from youth and so they're kind of stuck. So that's what we're going to continue to address. Why do we have a men, a generation of men who play it safe? Why are men afraid of having honest conversations with their wives or bosses? I mean, We're talking about bravery and courage, but let's face it, a lot of dudes won't talk to their wife if they're having marital difficulties or if they're parts of the relationship where they feel unfulfilled or unsatisfied, they won't talk to their wife. Well, I might upset her, right? You won't talk to your boss and say, hey, I'd like a raise. Hey, I'd like to change some of the tasks that I'm doing at work. Hey, I'd like to take on more responsibility. I'd like to grow this part of the business, right? We're afraid of starting our own business. And so many of us, in the nice guy syndrome kind of way, we've learned to keep our heads down and we work in mind-numbing corporate jobs because it, quote, feels safe. Again, steady pay, 401k, medical benefits. We, we think that's the safe bet. And so because of this and because of the way culture is, we've lost really the adventurous spirit of the pioneers or the early explorers. You think about People like Ernest Shackleton. I mean, read that book. This man goes to the Antarctic. He is stuck. They have this incredible journey. It's the sort of thing that boys love. And then you grow up as men and you go, oh, no, 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 we can't do those things now because, well, I have car payments, right? I, I need that steady corporate job. I just need it. And, and we really think that way. We don't have the adventurous spirit of the miners. And the people who really built this country. The frontiersmen who took dominion, and they took the dominion mandate very, very seriously. So what about our culture today? Why don't we have this sort of mindset? Well, I think one of the answers, and I've talked about this a little bit in past shows, but I want to go into it in a little more detail here, is what Jean Twenge in her book on iGen Again, that is the generation 1997 and after. This is what she talks about. She's unpacking why it is that today's kids are growing up safer and less happy than they've ever been. As Twangy points out, today's teens are growing up more slowly than previous generations. They're less likely to drive, smoke, drink, or have sex. But if they're doing fewer risky things, the question remains, why isn't their mental health improving? So many people will look at this generation, iGen, and they'll say, wow, they're so smart. Wow, you know, they're not doing all the crazy things that we did as youth. But it's also interesting because they're basically just avoiding risk at all in general. And as Twangy points out, so much of the reason is because they live their lives through a smartphone, they live their lives through screens, right? The iPhone came out in 2007. And so this whole generation is practiced in vicarious living. And because of that, they were not the generation of kids scraping their knees on bicycles. They were not the kids practicing with little plastic boomerangs and getting hit in the face and needing stitches because of it. They were the generation of safetyism. And here's the main point that I want to make today. They're not happy. They're fragile, right? Because they weren't out taking risks, Because they weren't out getting hurt and facing failure and pain, right? Those are the necessary things for growth, but they weren't doing that. And so that's one huge reason why our generation is soft, particularly the men. That's why they put off responsibility longer and longer. And this is something that Twangy points out in her book. She says that, quote, no matter what the reason, they, iGen, are eschewing adult activities until they are older. Contrary to the prevalent idea that children are growing up faster than previous generations did, iGeners are actually growing up more slowly. 18-year-olds now act like 15-year-olds used to, 13-year-olds act like 10-year-olds, and so on, end quote. So you see, the problem is everything gets delayed, and a huge part of it is because kids aren't outside, they're not playing, they're not allowed to experience any pain or trauma or anything in life because of helicopter parents. So I want to ask a few questions about how we got here and then we'll conclude the show by talking about how you can be a righteous risk taker. So how did we get here societally? I want to give you just a few reasons. Number one, we live in a culture obsessed with safety and that's what I've been referring to as safetyism. You see, the problem is we're worried about letting our kids go out of our sight ever. We can hardly imagine the free play come-home-at-dinner kind of mindset, right, that former generations grew up on. Now, while having seatbelts was probably a decent idea, this whole concept of safetyism has gone too far, to the point that we want to eliminate virtually any risk our children might face in life. And so our mindset is, I don't want them to experience pain ever. And one of the biggest things that we've cut out is free play. Like, we order our children's days. We schedule every moment, every activity, schooling, education. They've got tutors. They've got educational training for college so they get the right degree. But what they don't have is free play, where they learn how to interact with one another, where they learn how to take some risks and be adventurous, something that they would naturally do if they were allowed to have this state of free play. Let your kids go build a fort in the woods behind your house. It's good for them. Parents need to chill out and stop helicopter parenting. So number 2 reason is that we're blind to the reality that overprotection and safetyism are destroying our men. As Twenge points out in her book iGen, children today are safer and yet less happy than they've ever been. Children today are more fragile emotionally and psychologically. Teenagers are more depressed. And our kids are more afraid to go on a job hunt. They're more afraid to ask someone out than they've ever been in human history. They're afraid of taking risks because everything they do comes at a later age. They continually put things off. Here's a good example. You remember when you were 16, okay? So I'm in my mid 30s. When I was 16 years old, well, even rewind it before that. When I was 14, I was clamoring. To get a driver's license. Like that was the path to freedom. I wanted a driver's license so bad. And the second thing I wanted, maybe even more, but had to wait longer, was for my own handgun and rifle. Like I just wanted them. I wanted to be a man. I was desperate to be in a man's world. And those things were kind of like rite of passage things. Driving your own truck was this huge thing in rural America. It was part of the process of becoming a man. But you look at the generations today, people are, young, young people aren't getting their license until they're 20 years old. Why? Because they're afraid. Well, what if I get an accident? What if I fail? What if I get an offender fender bender? What if my parents get mad at me? But, but then I won't get into a good college. What if they find out about the accident on my like, blah, 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 right? They're living in constant fear because they've never been trained to embrace risk and failure. And this is something that we've got to undo if we're going to see the emotional health of our children increase and if we're going to see them be more mature people, particularly as boys become men. This gets really to the third point I want to make about how we got in the mess that we are in, particularly with our men being soft. It's this. We view our children as fragile and breakable when in fact they are quite resilient And they need, they require challenges, danger, and overcoming obstacles in order to grow. You see, the point is that failure is essential for growth. Any weightlifter can tell you this, right? In order to have muscle mass and have the muscle mass grow, what you need to do is you need to continually push your muscles to a point of failure. You need to stress them in the right doses, not all the time but in the right doses, mixed in with rest so that your muscles grow. You need to push yourself to the point of failure. And this is what's so hard as a parent. Like I totally understand not ever wanting your kids to get hurt. But I want you to think about God for a moment. I've been thinking about this in my own life. Has God allowed me to be hurt? Oh boy, has he? He has allowed me to make decisions, to fail, to make just decisions that at the point, in that point in time, I thought, man, I just screwed my entire life up. And God allowed that. And I can look back at it now and say, man, he was growing me as a son. So now I want you to take that mindset, you know, Psalm 119, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your law. I want you to take that mindset and I want you to think about how you parent your kids, right? You're watching your kid ride the bike in the driveway. And you want to just jump in there and be like, I'm just going to stand right behind him the whole time. And you see him going for the ramp. Here's where we need to get, I think, his fathers and mothers as well. You see your kid going for the ramp and you, and you say, instead of going, no, buddy, don't do that. You see him going for the ramp and you say, go get him, son. And you know he's going to get hurt at some point doing that. But here's the deal. That's good for him. It is good for your children to try things and fail. It is good for them to enter into an activity and realize, man, I suck at this. I'm going to have to work and I'm going to have to get better. And even though it's not my gift, I have to finish the commitment, right? Failure is good for your kids. I remember on my high school baseball team, my freshman year, I think we won zero games. And I look back on that now and I think, you know, that really was probably the most formative season of baseball that I've ever had. It wasn't because we were good, because we were not. We got destroyed. But we grew as a team. As young boys, we were becoming more men. We had to deal with failure, setbacks, disappointment, right? So this is what your kids need failure is essential for growth. And you have to be the one who allows them space to fail, to fall, to scrape their knees. Okay, so I want to close the show with some practical helps for how we can be, as men, how we can be righteous risk-takers. And I want to begin by looking at something that Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Paul writes to the church, To this end, we always pray for you, Right. This is a church, if you read the two letters, that is in constant adversity and affliction. So Paul says this, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill, and you hear this, that he may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, end quote. So what I want to draw out of this is that our aim as men should be righteous risk-taking and bold resolve to action for the sake of building up God's kingdom. This is what Paul as the apostle was praying for his church. I want you to be the kind of people that resolve to do good for the kingdom. In the midst of adversity and who are eagerly seeking out every work of faith by his power. And in the next verse Paul says that this is what glorifies the name of Jesus. So he says, listen, I want you to resolve for good works and works of faith so that, and now I'm quoting, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. How is God glorified in men? He is glorified when you have resolution for bold risk-taking action for the sake of the kingdom. So how can we practically encourage our sons and encourage our men to, to be this way. Well, I'm going to give you a few things before we close. Number one, you need to encourage your sons to embrace danger with serious joy and faithful courage. Now, I want to share a list at this point. This comes from Pastor Brian Sovey, Refuge Church in Ogden, Utah. I am straight ripping this off from his Twitter feed, but it's it's an excellent take. He says, Here are some risky activities to encourage in your boys. So I'm just going to read the list. Number one, woodland fort building. Awesome. Number two, weapon construction. Amen. Number three, tree climbing. Number four, BB gun target practice. Number five, biking the neighborhood. Number six, hole digging. Number seven, creek exploration. And number eight, general muddiness. What a fantastic list. And then Brian at the end, he says this, and don't you dare ruin any of the above with undue supervision. So this is the same sort of thing that we've been getting at in the show, which is your kids need space to make mistakes, to fall, to hurt themselves, but also to go on these grand adventures. And yes, some of it is risky. They're going to get muddy. I have a scar on my left leg near my knee, where, ill-advised, my brother thought, hey, I'm going to throw this spear at you, and you're going to catch it. Well, it was about to hit me in the man parts, and I swung my knee, and it took a giant chunk out of the side of my knee. Thank God, I would gladly give up my knee for what I was protecting. But here's the point. We were making weapons. We were out in the woods. We were doing our thing. We were being boys. And every time I look at that scar, I think of my brother, and I smile. And I love him more for it. Because we were bonded as men through that experience. So teach your boys to embrace danger with joy and with faithful courage. Let them get out and do some of these things. Turn the screens off. Get them off the video games. Get them off a Kindle device and get them out doing these things. Riding bikes, scraping knees. It's good for them. Some other things that you can do and that we do in our home. Backcountry hunting. Right? I mentioned this before, but there's real danger. There's wild animals. There's rattlesnakes. Give your son a hatchet. Show him how to use it. Tell him what the dangers are, and then stand back and let him do his thing. Now, of course, you're going to step in before things get life-threatening. But if you teach him properly, he's going to use it. He's going to learn how to use it. He might nick a few fingers. That's fine. That's good. He's going to learn from those experiences. So number two, recognize that risk-taking is often more anti-fragile than playing it safe. What do I mean by this? Well, I would encourage you to check out Nicholas Nassim Taleb's books. Um, What I'm about to say comes from his book, Anti-Fragile. In there, he talks about a taxi driver and he talks about a banker. And he says the taxi driver never really has consistent income. But at the end of the year, it's always about the same, right? It always adds up to about the same. He doesn't have benefits, so he's got to think outside the box, all that good stuff. He's more responsible for his day. But then you take the banker and you say, well, the banker has the cush job. This is how in our culture we've been taught to think about risk and security. We think that the banker has the secure job because he gets... Steady hours every week, his paycheck's always the same, he gets a gold watch at the end of 25 years of service, he's going to get a pension and a retirement. Well, then something happens. Now, this is pre-coronavirus in the book, of course, but maybe it was something like the coronavirus. Some catastrophe, some black swan event happens, and what happens to these two men? Well, the banker loses his job, and he has no other skills. He's been, you know, 15 years in the same job. So he's fired and he's up a creek without a paddle. He has no other revenue, uh, no other sources of income. Meanwhile, the taxi driver, he just readjusts his routes, right? He he just does other work elsewhere. He figures out that certain people are looking for jobs. And so he offers discounts to those people going to interviews. And actually his business does better. And so this is Taleb's point. A lot of the things that we characterize as anti-fragile are actually incredibly fragile. And a corporate job is one of those things. And the other thing I would say uh, to you as men is that having a play it safe mindset with life is often very fragile, right? Because you're not out taking risks, you're the kind of guy in the coronavirus situation where it's like, I don't know what to do. I haven't been working on side hustles. I just lost my job. What am I supposed to do? right? Because the only thing you know how to do is work for one company in a corporate environment. And I promise you, and I I speak from personal experience, the coronavirus hit, I got furloughed by one job, but I had like four other freelance side hustle work jobs. So it was like, it didn't ruin me. right? That's called being anti-fragile. Again, being the kind of guy that takes risk is often more anti-fragile than the guy who plays it safe. Now, third, we need to realize that failure, as I said before, failure is the key to growth. The scripture tells us in the Proverbs that the righteous man falls seven times, but they get back up. And something that I've tried to live by, this is John C. Maxwell, he said this fail early, fail often, but always fail forward. So I look at my life, the last couple years particularly, I have failed a lot, guys. I mean, gone off and you know tried to be a part of a church plant, tried to work at a company, none of it worked. It was a failure. But man, did I learn a lot. And that stuff has helped me grow what I'm doing now. And the things that I've been successful, I've been able to sort of tailor those to be even even better, even more successful. Again, even things like furlough. Yeah, furlough was a chance to start a podcast. And it made me get better at doing a lot of the side hustle work. So again, you could look at that like failure, but honestly, it's, it's causing me to grow. Now I want to, I want to share this story. I was talking with a friend, we were talking about hunting recently. And, um, you know, he said to me, he said, well, you know, I've never missed an animal. I've never missed an animal. So no failure. And I said, you know, I don't think that's anything to brag about, man. It just means that you really haven't hunted much. It means that you've never taken any risks. You've never done a a super hard hunt. Maybe you've always, you know, killed a deer on your mom and dad's property. I don't know what it is. But listen to me, man. Like, every serious hardcore hunter that I know, you can talk about Cam Haynes, you can talk about Randy Newberg. I don't care who it is. Every serious hardcore hunter that I know has a very long list of failures. They have learned from those failures. There have been misses. There's been mistakes. So if you're, you know, the other year I was thinking about this, I took up bow hunting. It is so much harder. It was like five years ago, six years ago, maybe more. It is so much harder than using a rifle to kill an animal. And I, I've had my misses. I've missed white-tailed deer. Uh, A couple years ago, I shot an elk. High, made a mistake. Didn't stop the animal with the call. Rushed my shot. Animal survives, gets away. So, yeah, if you're going to try hard things, if you're going to, you're going to challenge yourself. There's going to be failure. That that just means that you're serious about it. So don't view failure as something that you should try to avoid, but instead view failure as the key to growth. It's an opportunity. Now, number four, we need to embrace risk-taking for the glory of God in our own lives. So again, as I said before, we need men in the church who start side hustles, who do personal businesses and small businesses, who are ambitious and who know how to take calculated risks. Not stupid risks, but calculated risks. Right? The world does not need men to play it safe. It needs men to be bold for the sake of the kingdom. And so this is something that we can model for our boys by doing that. Think outside the box, right? Don't just think in the status quo mindset of corporate jobs, nine to five. You don't have to do that. But it does require that you think and you plan and you take calculated risks. Now, the last thing I want to say before we close the show out is that you need to be hanging out with other men who embrace risk and bold action. I'm not talking about people who are stupid, but I am talking about people who are bold and who are men of action. Because here's something that I learned in my life. If you hang around with people who are timid, frady cats, right? They would never start their own business. They would never buy a school bus and renovate that sucker and turn it into some kind of cool business model, right? If you're not hanging around people who are taking bold action, you're not going to take bold action, right? But we're inspired. Courage is contagious. So I do want to encourage you, find people who can challenge you, find people who can inspire you, find other guys in the church, other guys in your community. You you look at them and you say, man, they're doing some good things with their boys. There's some things in there that I can emulate. They are righteous risk takers. They make bold resolutions, and then they act on them. These are the kind of men that you want to be around. Well, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I hope it's been an encouragement to you to be the kind of man who takes bold risk for the glory of God. Now I would encourage you as well if this show has been beneficial to you, go ahead and check out my Patreon Page. You can find that in the show notes. I appreciate everyone who is supporting. If you're not supporting, I would encourage you to do so. The money that you contribute as a monthly supporter of Patreon goes to supporting this show, supporting the equipment, the time that it takes to produce and research. It also goes to supporting the writing of my book, as well as a field manual for men growing in the art of masculine skill, or helping other people to grow in that as well. Of course, you can follow me on my website. That's ericconn.com, E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at eric, E-R-I-C, underscore, C-O-N-N. If you are a Patreon supporter, I would encourage you to go on Patreon, or you can send me a note through Facebook, Twitter, or email. But let me know. We are going to have an Ask Me Anything session coming up soon. So I want to be able to answer your questions. So be sure to send those my way so that it can be dealt with. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.